This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to the Science Desk podcast. Hi, this is Abhishek. My name is Shruti. And today we're going to be talking about a strange yet obscure parasite called Toxoplasma. Its full scientific name is Toxoplasma gondii. It's a parasite that can cause long-lasting yet latent infections in humans. Latent infections means that uh, the symptoms of the disease are not obvious. This parasite becomes especially dangerous when the immune system is compromised and it can complicate lots of different situations like um, organ transplantation, cancer treatment, and it can also cause severe illness in AIDS patients. Toxoplasma stands for the T in TORCH, T-O-R-C-H, which is an acronym for a group of microbes that can pass from an infected mother to her developing fetus during pregnancy. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, have categorized toxoplasma infections among the five neglected parasitic infections, NPIs, they call it, in the United States of America. Now, any disease that is considered relevant for an economically developed nation like USA does not have to be automatically important for the rest of the world. But Toxoplasma has some peculiarities that make it a worldwide problem. Looking back a little at the history of Toxoplasma, it was discovered in 1908 and it was found only in laboratory animals back then. But starting from 1937, lots of research and lots of medical reports started to piece together a very complex picture of infection. Albert Sabine, known for developing the oral polio vaccine, was one of these researchers who found that Toxoplasma as a parasite cannot live on its own. It requires another organism to serve as its host and can reproduce only inside the host's cells. This is how the relationship between hosts and parasites usually plays out. The parasite is an organism that takes advantage of and lives in or on the host organism. If it lives in the host, it's called an endoparasite, like if it lives inside the host's cells. If it lives on the host, it's called an ectoparasite. Anyway, Toxoplasma lives inside the host's cells, so you could call it an endoparasite. Alberts have been also found that susceptible hosts can be infected by various methods in the laboratory. Now, these included introducing the parasite directly uh, by the mouth or the nose or by feeding infected tissues to host animals. By 1948, the Sabine and Feldman dye test was developed and introduced to check if an organism's immune system had been exposed to Toxoplasma or not. Epidemiological studies using this test have established that Toxoplasma is found all over the world. Even more intriguingly, it has the ability to infect every warm-blooded animal on the planet and it is now one of the most common parasites infecting humans and domestic animals. Finding susceptible hosts is only one side of the story, so it's just as important to find out how the infection is actually transmitted. More than 60 years after Toxoplasma was first documented, scientists finally discovered its complete life cycle. So by 1970, researchers found out that members of the cat family act as the definitive hosts of this parasite. So this includes the domestic cat. Toxoplasma needs the cat's intestinal cells, so cells in the intestine, to sexually reproduce and complete its life cycle. So the parasite reproduces inside the cat and it produces, you know, what we can think of as parasite babies. These parasite babies are called oocysts. These oocysts come out with the cat's fecal matter or its droppings and can remain infective in water or in soil for a very long period of time. In this form, it is ingested or taken up or eaten by intermediate hosts like rodents as well as humans 
where it changes form and it takes up residence inside the, their tissues. So these tissue-based forms of the parasite, they can also be transferred between intermediate hosts due to carnivory. So, so it's important to remember that almost any warm-blooded animal on Earth can serve as an intermediate host for this parasite. Since it can spread from animals to humans, it's classified as a zoonotic disease, like rabies, for example. So there have been a lot of studies conducted in India to estimate the prevalence of toxoplasma infection in human populations. There is a pan-India study that was conducted, in fact, as recent as 2014, and it showed that there is a national prevalence of 22.4% of infection uh, among women, ranging from a low of 8.8% in Western India to almost 37.3% in South India. Now, based on a lot of immunological data, scientists estimate around 56,000 to 1,76,000 children per year are born in India with a possible risk of congenital toxoplasmosis. And we'll get to this in a little while. Now, whether the parasite is naturally spread directly between humans apart from the mother to fetus transmission is actually still a matter of active research. We don't fully know everything about it. And there are also many, many uh, concerns that it may be sexually transmitted. So even though the study used samples from women in different parts of the country, it is only an estimate of the potential infection rates in the country. And due to this issue, as well as general concerns over the spread of this parasite, there is definitely a need for increased surveillance and testing. Now, despite all this, um, I'm sure many of you have not even heard of Toxoplasma. It's almost neglected and it's very, very obscure. Now, this could be because of two reasons. First of all, infection with Toxoplasma in an otherwise healthy human being is definitely not fatal. It seems obvious, therefore, that money and effort would be directed towards controlling diseases that lead to the loss of more human lives. So this brings us neatly to the second reason. Toxoplasmosis has always been overshadowed by its more deadly cousin, malaria. With a large part of the country in the subtropical and tropical zones, India is in the endemic region for malaria. While India has achieved major gains in controlling malaria in recent years, malaria's emerging resistance to a standard medication in Southeast Asia is an additional cause for concern. Now, this may throw a wrench into India's commitment with the WHO to eliminate malaria in time for its endorsement of a malaria-free Asia-Pacific region by 2030. To control malaria, it may be necessary to look for solutions in other organisms. Recently, research on toxoplasma has shown this to be true. So, researchers at the Whitehead Institute in Massachusetts, USA, uh, they've used a novel gene editing tool called CRISPR. Uh, that's actually an acronym. So they've used CRISPR to study the genome of toxoplasma. In their hands, toxoplasma is actually being used as a model system. Like mice are used as a model system to study humans, for example. Toxoplasma is being used as a model system to study a group of parasitic microbes called apicomplexans. Toxoplasma is a representative of this group, and so is plasmodium, the causative agent of malaria. So various peculiarities in the genome of plasmodium uh, make it very difficult to study using genetic techniques, standard genetic techniques. But being evolutionarily related, it shares many of its genes and survival strategies with Toxoplasma, whose genome is a lot more easy to manipulate with genetics. So proving that this line of research can actually lead to solutions to the problem of malaria, the scientists found a gene common to both parasites, Toxoplasma as well as Plasmodium, that codes for a host invasion protein. So this protein helps these kind of microbes invade their hosts. That 
host invasion protein is called CLAMP. So researchers at the Whitehead Institute collaborated with other scientists at MIT and they showed that disabling the gene that produces this protein, CLAMP, can prevent plasmodium from growing in red blood cells, which means you can prevent plasmodium from causing malaria in a sense. So apart from its potential to control malaria, studying this parasite, toxoplasma, may also prove useful in other ways. Research published last year shows that toxoplasma has a protein which may enhance the discovery of novel anti-inflammatory molecules. By keeping a human enzyme called P38-alpha active, the toxoplasma protein can help scientists measure how effective new anti-inflammatory drugs actually are. So up until now, this is painting an almost beautiful picture of toxoplasma and you'll be tempted to consider that toxoplasma is a boon rather than a bane. But life is rarely so simple and it very rarely allows for such a clear separation of roles. So let's consider toxoplasma now from a different perspective. Think of it as a hacker testing the firewall of a multinational company, exploiting whatever weakness it can find. Now it is in our interests to protect ourselves against it but at the same time, if we can, then we must learn from its tricks and use it to our advantage. In this way, it becomes less about dealing only with a new enemy and more about a chance to understand and come to terms with this very strange parasite. Now, a healthy person who is infected by toxoplasma may exhibit mild flu-like symptoms for a short period of time or even resolve the active infection with no symptoms at all. However, this return to apparent health is not the end for toxoplasma. After this quick brawl with the immune system, it withdraws into a dormant state and waits inside vital organs like the brain and the heart. And in some cases, it also manifests in a form of eye infection that has been associated with the parasite. There is definitely ongoing research into possible associations between toxoplasma infections and even some neurological disorders. But on the whole, in most cases, as long as the immune system is functioning, the parasite is kept in check and we see no obvious signs of infection in a host individual. But if the immune system is compromised, then the parasite reactivates in the body. So some diseases like AIDS, for example, they produce immunodeficiency. Your immune system stops working really well because the HIV virus, the one that produces AIDS, it replicates inside and cripples infection-fighting immune cells. But there are also instances when modern medical practices can induce immunodeficiency. Sometimes when you're treating one disease, you happen to produce some side effects. For example, when chemotherapy is given to treat cancer, fast dividing cells that are a part of the immune system undergo collateral damage. They also get hit because the chemotherapy drugs can't really distinguish between good and bad kinds of fast dividing cells. They just look for fast dividing cells and hit them really hard. Another instance is when immunosuppressive drugs, that is drugs that suppress the immune system. So immunosuppressive drugs are used to prevent the rejection of transplanted organs. This can also allow toxoplasma to reactivate in two ways, either in the donated organ itself, uh, which leads to its spread into the body of the recipient into which the organ is transplanted, or it reactivates directly inside the body of the recipient themselves. So there is definite cause for concern when it comes to toxoplasma, because apart from its normal mechanisms of infection, improving medical interventions are inadvertently providing new ways for it to spread and cause illness in humans. But similar problems have been encountered and are being solved to some extent in the field of organ transplantation for other diseases uh, like HIV and hepatitis. As such, the only ways to avoid passing infections from donor to recipient during organ transplantation is by screening the donor's medical history 
so you make sure that they haven't been infected by some disease that they are still carrying now and by checking the donor and the donated organ for infection so you actively test their body and the organ to see if it's infected or not so better surveillance is needed during the organ donation process to help reduce this mode of infection by toxoplasma so apart from this if you do get infected by toxoplasma through organ transplantation or the toxoplasma infection that's inside your body in a latent way gets reactivated because of chemotherapy or due to other reasons the degree of the illness how badly you get infected and what sort of symptoms you show from parasite reactivation that depends on the extent of immunosuppression that's happened so like the original infection it can also range from non specific symptoms like fever in the beginning but it can even go on to really serious ones like encephalitis and even multi organ failure by administering anti parasitic drugs drugs that can control the parasite's growth the active parasites can be destroyed and the infection can be controlled so there is a way out faster diagnosis of the toxoplasmosis that happens can improve the patient's chances of survival with medication so if you catch it really quickly and find out that the symptoms you're having are because of toxoplasmosis when your doctor can see that then they can give you the drugs faster and they can control this infection but these drugs cannot destroy the dormant forms of the parasite that have already been established in your body so the management of toxoplasmosis as a disease becomes more about long term medication and control rather than outright cure even when the immune system is functioning properly there's a special case in which toxoplasma infections pose a grave danger in women who are infected by toxoplasma during pregnancy there is a risk of the parasite being transmitted to the developing fetus Now it's important to understand that this is only the case if the woman experiences an active infection during pregnancy. If an active infection has been resolved before getting pregnant, then the risk of the parasite passing to the developing fetus is greatly reduced. Infection in the developing fetus when it does happen can lead to a lot of problems, ranging from developmental defects to miscarriage and sometimes even stillbirth. The only known solution in this case is a drug called spiramycin that prevents the mother to fetus transmission of toxoplasma during pregnancy. So how can we reduce the risk of infection by this parasite? How can you protect yourself? So it's important to realize that toxoplasmosis is a preventable disease and the CDC has a list of recommendations on its website which include the following suggestions but the important thing is to think about this from the parasite's viewpoint. So as the parasite you are you've just finished having sexual reproduction inside the cat's intestines and you're coming out with the cat's feces so it's going to be mixed up in the soil and that's where the contamination starts so you've got to peel or wash fruits and vegetables because you don't want infected soil sticking on it if you eat meat then you should cook it thoroughly there's a particular temperature listed on the cdc website um you can also freeze the meat for a few days for several days before you want to cook it because freezing also ends up killing the parasite inside the meat you should also maintain clean sources of drinking water this can also help reduce infection it's important to maintain personal hygiene obviously but more so for toxoplasma because it might be present in the soil so you should wash your hands uh, when they're exposed to soil and dirt outside your homes especially before eating or before handling food and water for yourselves or other people if you happen to own a cat please don't feed it raw meat because remember you've got to cook meat or freeze it to make sure toxoplasma contamination isn't there so if you own a cat don't give it raw meat again give it prepared food keep the cat indoors as much as possible to prevent it from being infected because if you leave a cat outside it's going to try and hunt things and it probably may eat infected meat while changing cat litter boxes use disposable gloves 
and wash your hands carefully afterwards. Pregnant women are also advised to refrain from adopting stray cats as much as possible and should not change the litter box themselves. Researchers around the world today continue to study toxoplasma to unravel a lot of its effects on humans and to try to find better ways of dealing with this parasite. Information from all of this research has produced very tangible results including the formulation of CDC's recommendations to reduce infection that you just heard another research study published this year has highlighted an important role for a process called autophagy in the long term survival of toxoplasma within human cells autophagy is a term that refers broadly to the processes used by many types of cells to recycle nutrients and salvage necessary biomolecules In effect it's a sort of starvation response there's not much food from outside so you want to make sure you're efficiently using whatever you have inside so interfering with this autophagy process in toxoplasma can be done in different ways the scientists could genetically delete some key enzymes that were important in this autophagy process or they disrupted these enzymes with drugs in both these ways you can damage and destroy the parasites and you can reduce their ill effects on the host This might be because the dormant forms of the parasite that are within the body they may need this autophagy process to survive for a long time inside the host. So it might not be long before new methods to treat and cure toxoplasma can render it just a mere historical footnote rather than the troublesome hitchhiker it is on modern medicine because you remember how we talked about modern medical practices may inadvertently allow toxoplasma to infect people in new ways. So until research manages to find a sure solution for toxoplasma increased public awareness is necessary to prevent unnecessary infection and stimulate timely action from the government and from medical establishments to control this parasite pressure from the public that's you by the way dear listener is also essential to foster and maintain government and private spending towards research on this organism in india most definitely we need to be spending more money on scientific research on this problem and lots of others and with that we'd like to end this podcast this is abhishek this is shruti signing off all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.